This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. The English Standard Version of the Bible divides Romans chapter 3 into three segments to better help us understand the subject matter underneath each section. I really enjoy reading the ESV, and I find the headings to be very helpful. In fact, I like those headings better than I like footnotes because you really don't know whether or not to trust the writer of the footnotes. They may turn out to be deceptive con men like Schofield, or they may just not have all the information. I prefer to study the Bible myself, <clears throat> letting God speak to me through the pages. The three sections listed in the ESV for Romans chapter 3 are listed as this, God's righteousness upheld, no one is righteous, and the righteous, righteousness of God through faith. These three sections and the titles given to them agree with the writings of the great men of old, the ones that William Branham pulled out of a hat to assign as church, as church age messengers to the different dispensations that he plagiarized from Clarence Larkin's dispensational truth. But the message that Paul preached in his letter to the Romans is in direct conflict with one of the many false doctrines brought by William Marion Branham. The false teaching that sin is the attributes of unbelief. When the Gnostics started infecting the early church with their pagan worship, one of the pagan teachings was that of leading ascetic lives. Asceticism is the idea that you can lift yourself to a, a higher spiritual state by forbidding yourselves of the things of this world. It is the idea that the material world is evil, Satan's Eden, and we must distance ourselves from the material world to become closer to the spiritual world. The first two messengers that Branham chose for the church ages, Paul and Irenaeus, both spoke out against this pagan theology. The rest of them also did the same, but by their ages, the Gnostics had went underground into other pagan forms of worship, such as Freemasonry and Kabbalah. 
both of which seems to have influenced William Branham when you compare their teachings. But to the Colossians, Paul says this. He says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels and going on in detail of, of visions and puffed up with, without reason by his sensuous mind. Though the Gnostics are not specifically named in the scriptures, when you read the history of the early church, you will quickly identify them by the very descriptions that Paul gives when they are condemned. And Paul reminds us that leaning towards philosophy rather than faith in Jesus Christ will lead you to bitter disappointment. In Colossians 2.8, he warns not to be taken captive by philosophy, which he compares to empty deceit. Philosophy, the ideas of men, are what Paul considers to be worldly. Faith in Jesus Christ cannot be understood by philosophy, which presents a problem when you entertain the, the philosophical religions such as Buddhism. And Gnosticism is in that same category. The best example of this comes later in Colossians 2, when Paul condemns asceticism. And he then he compares asceticism to being worldly. Paul says this, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, in other words, since you are no longer worldly, Paul says, why, as though you still belonged to the world, as though you are still worldly. He says, why do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have, which have to do with the things that are destined to perish with use. In other words, worldly things. He says they are based upon merely human commandments and teachings. In other words, they're not scriptural guys. He says such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom, philosophy, the, the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship. In other words, man-made rules. He says with their self-imposed worship and their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Ironically, when compared to William Branham's message of a Christian must forfeit his rights, Paul teaches freedom from these worldly man-made rules. <clears throat> and Paul calls the Mosaic Law obsolete. The Mosaic Law did include many things that dealt with the outward appearance, but the Mosaic Law failed because men could never be justified under the law. For this reason, Paul says that Christ established a new, a everlasting covenant, the covenant of grace, so that we could be justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There are over 70 sins in the New Testament, most of them listed by Paul. 
Not one single sin has to do with the outward appearance. And every single sin that Paul mentions deals with the heart. And none of them are man-made rules and can specifically be pointed to the reason that God sent the Mosaic Law to show us how sinful that the human race really is. To show us that we needed a Savior to redeem us from the penalty of the law and to offer us a better covenant. But William Branham not only listed this, the many specific attributes of outward appearance as sin, he listed many sins that are not listed as sin in the Scripture. These extra-biblical sins are man-made rules or philosophy, and they're condemned by Paul, and Paul calls this worldly. In 1965, Branham says this, Sin, sin, there is only one sin, that's unbelief. A man that drinks isn't a sinner, see, that, 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 see, isn't sin. It isn't a, it isn't a sin to drink. It isn't a sin to commit adultery, to lie, to steal, that isn't sin. That's the attributes of unbelief. If you as a believer, you wouldn't do that, see? 1965, doors in a door. And here, William Branham ties drinking to sin, and adultery, which is correct, to sin, lying and stealing to sin. But rather than sins, he calls them attributes of unbelief. In other words, William Branham is saying that if you sin, you do not believe. This is somewhat easy to do if you only consider part of the sins that are listed in the New Testament. And if you want to accept Branham's man-made rules or his philosophy, if you want to accept that to be sinful, it's somewhat easy to do. Here are some of the superficial sins that are very easy to follow. But these are man-made philosophies that Branham either invented or he copied from Charles Taze Russell and John Alexander Dowie. One sin he lists is drinking. Yet Proverbs tells us to drink a strong drink when we're old and dying, and tells us to drink wine for our sorrows. Drink a little wine for your stomach is a common saying even in our culture, but it comes from the New Testament. It does not speak against drinking, but it does speak against drunkenness, as well as overindulgence of anything. Smoking. Not in the Bible. At all. The priest burned incense in the altars. Were they defiling the temples with smoke? No, absolutely not. Another one is earrings. Ezekiel 16 describes God's bride. And she not only had earrings, but also a nose ring. Branham's philosophy was to sever yourself from other Christians by appearing different. And in my opinion, if the United States had have had a fashion at that time of nose rings, he would have spoke against nose rings, even though it's in the Bible. Makeup is another one. Branham lessened the fact that Jezebel was actually put to death for her idolatry. 
because he claimed that she was put to death because of painting her face. But notice how he never preached about Esther, who was given cosmetics to prepare herself for the king. You see, the culture for that time in royalty was for the women, and sometimes even the men, to paint their faces to appear majestic. Another one is long dresses for women. Branham uses the scriptures that a garment that pertains to a man to push his philosophy of women in long dresses. Though pictures show that this rule obviously did not apply to his own family. But God does not speak culture-specific. Think of this. Your Bible is for the Christians around the globe. And God does not speak to a specific culture. During that time in the United States, this philosophy seems correct. But what about Scottish men wearing kilts? Or what about Hawaiian grass skirts? Amazon naked natives? When they turn to Christianity in the heat, what do they do? Remember, this was an old covenant law, which Paul calls obsolete. That same law that instructs us to stone our children when they disobey. The list can go on and on and on, but you see the pattern here. Either they are an outward expression, or they are a man-made rule or a philosophy. And they have nothing to do with the heart or even the change of the heart. I have seen some of the most bitter and unchristian-like people who apply all of these rules to their lives. But the biggest problem of all is that his man-made philosophy, he intertwined the belief that you only sin because you do not believe in Christ. This is asceticism. And it is not only unhealthy to the person, but it's very, very damaging to the church. Let's take those three sections of Romans chapter 3 and compare Paul's message of grace to Branham's message of asceticism. Paul starts by comparing them to the Jews, who had done their very best to abide by the Mosaic law and all of its rules and regulations. Paul says this, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of the circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Some of you may not have caught this. The Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. And an oracle <clears throat> is the word for prophecy. The Jews not the Gentiles. Next, Paul outwardly condemns William Branham's teaching that sin is the attributes of unbelief. Listen very closely to what comes next. Paul says this, What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithful, faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? He says, By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your own words and prevail when you are judged. Notice the stark contrast between what Paul just said and the recent Catch the Vision publication that came out of the cult headquarters Voice of God recordings. While they threw their Bibles under the bus to uplift a lying false prophet, 
Paul does the opposite. Let the word of God be true, though everyone else is a liar. Next part is key. Paul does not say that we are to live ascetic lives, holy lives, so that we can become the perfect Christian, or so that we can have rapturing faith. He does not say that our sin is because of unbelief, or even that we are failures because we fall into sin. In fact, Paul says that we are all sinners, saved by grace. We are all righteous. Paul says this, But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath upon us? He says, I speak in a human way. And then he says, By no means, for then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds in his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. Next, Paul takes that entire little bride philosophy that Branham stole from John Alexander Dowie, and he casts it aside. There are no small groups of Christians that are better than other Christians. We are all sinners, and it is only the grace of of Jesus Christ that we are able to call ourselves his own. Paul writes this. He says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. He says, For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Watch this next part. This is Paul's direct rebuke. And he does it by Scripture to prove that William Branham's man-made philosophy is against God's Word. Paul says this, and he reminds us, he says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. He says, No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. He writes, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is in their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. He says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And all of these things Paul takes from Scripture. But here is the concerning part. Branham tried to uplift portions of the law. And pastors in the cult try to enforce portions of the law. Followers try to follow portions of the law. But listen to Paul condemning even this. He says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Think of that. You are placing yourself under the law by trying to uplift portions of the law. Paul says, So that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. 
Paul says, For by works of law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is the very reason that in the next verse, Paul separates the law from the grace of God. They're two separate covenants. One is rendered obsolete by the everlasting covenant of grace. Paul says, <clears throat> But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Paul says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Notice what he just said there. Did he say, For a few have unbelieved, but now we will all try to become perfect Christians? No, he said, All have sinned, and all have fell short of the glory of God. Paul says, And they are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation of his blood to be received by faith. All have sinned, yet justified by faith. Honestly, I fail to see how William Branham could have combined these two into one theology unless he never read the New Testament. It is the, the opinion of many that he never read it, and I can certainly understand why. To introduce this theology that sin is an attribute of unbelief, we must deny the very reason that Christ died on the cross. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that the Redeemer came to die for our sins because mankind could not justify themselves by trying to uphold the law. This is the simple, beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. And William Branham does not seem to know it. His philosophy about the attributes of unbelief prove that he has absolutely no understanding of what is written in the New Testament. So if you've been programmed by this false teaching, the first question that you're going to ask yourself is this, why would God do this? Why would God send His only Son to die for our sins? Couldn't He have just forgave us and let it go? Couldn't He have just lessened the law a bit to just keep the few portions of the law that William Branham tried to enforce? Let's let Paul answer this question since it's the very next thing in the chapter. Paul writes, This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that we may be just. And the justifier is the one who has belief, who has faith in Jesus Christ. Then, what becomes of our boasting? Paul says, it is excluded. He says, by what kind of law? Paul asks, is it because of a law of works? Paul writes, no, but by the law of faith. And that faith is in Jesus Christ. 
So the next question that you'll ask yourself if you've been programmed by the cult of William Branham is this. How then are we justified? Don't we need the law? Or at least laws? Don't we need rules to follow? Enforced by the messenger for our day. Why even have a messenger? That last question, I'll let you answer for yourselves. You'll find the answer in the New Testament, specifically in the part in Hebrews where Paul says that the prophets were used in the days of old, and now the Holy Spirit speaks to us. But to the other questions regarding the law, we'll let Paul answer again, because it also, again, comes next. Paul writes this, For we hold one that is justified by faith apart from not together, apart from works of the law. Paul says, or is God the God of the Jews only? Remember, the Jews are the ones who kept the law. He says, is he not God of the Gentiles also? Paul says, yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will, circumcise, who will justify the circumcised by faith? Think of that verse. The Gentiles were not circumcised, which was a part of the Mosaic law. They were breaking that law. Paul says, who will justify them? Because they are circumcised by faith in Jesus Christ. He says, and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow this law by faith? He answers himself, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. How do we uphold the law? We uphold the law through faith in Jesus Christ. Notice how he says we uphold it. And then compare it to William Branham's false teaching that sin is the attributes of unbelief. This is the Mosaic law. In many portions of that law, we will never be able to uphold. Paul says that the law is upheld by faith in Jesus Christ, not by works, not by doing the law, not by adding man-made rules or philosophies, worldly things, so that we can live ascetic lives, not by associating ourselves into a denomination that now calls themselves the message of the hour or the little bride. There is only one way to uphold the law. And Paul says that that way is through faith in Jesus Christ. Those of you who disagree, having been programmed by a lying false prophet and believe that sin is the attributes of unbelief, I'll ask you this one question. How's it working out for you? Have you successfully lived a sinless life? Have you avoided all of the 70 sins listed in the New Testament, like gluttony or pride or anger? How many of you have made it through your entire lives without ever being angry at another person? Wouldn't you rather choose Paul's message? Oh.